2016, in the Class 1A state championship game, Alyssa Yeager, a sophomore from Springville High School, goes to the free throw line with three seconds left to shoot a one-and-one free throw, down by one, to win a state championship. Now, what's awesome about that moment is she calmly makes the first one, her teammates celebrate, she makes the second one, and Springville goes on to win the state title. But what most people don't know is a little bit about Alyssa's background that got her to that point her sophomore year. Alyssa Yeager, as a freshman, played for me, was one of the first kids off the bench in our varsity rotation. Pretty average player throughout most of the regular season, but when we got to the postseason in her freshman year, 2015, for whatever reason, in the biggest moments, she really struggled. In fact, her turnovers went up, her field goal percentage went down, she would go in and make mistakes, and you could tell she's a really analytical kid, and she would just pile on herself continually thinking about her mistakes and about the consequence of those mistakes and that would cause her to make another one and we couldn't get her out of the game fast enough and in fact her freshman year when we made a run to the state tournament she played less and less and less in those big games at the end of the year and quite honestly in 2015 if you would have asked me who's the last player that we would have wanted going to the free throw line to win a state championship Shooting a one-on-one free throw, Alyssa probably would have been that person for me. But this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the transformation that our team went through to empower Alyssa to be able to perform in that big moment of her sophomore year. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm JP Nurbin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nate Sanderson. In this episode, we discuss practical ideas to help you develop as a coach and build your team's culture. Now, we want to get you out of here in 30 minutes or less. So let's get started. You're listening to episode 81, Building Your Team's Mistake Response. So Nate, I think every coach out there can kind of empathize a little bit with your story there. We've all had players or teams that seem to struggle when a mistake happens. They start to quickly pile up and it's almost like they're in quicksand. And the more that we try to be positive, encouraging, or all the little tricks that we try don't seem to help it only just seems to get worse and not even just in within one game but it can pile up from game to game and this is something where i know that i've grown a lot as a coach over the years and you have an incredible story of you know being state runners up to going to state champions and having melissa yeager really develop not just as a player but as a person right it's, it's, there's so much that comes down to them a growth as a person and being able to handle mistakes that's what we're going to jump into today so tell us a little bit about the process uh, that you went through with your team at Springville. Well, you know, JP, we actually started uh, that process of just addressing our mistake response um, in reaction to something that I did in a basketball game in that following season. And uh, I think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but we were we were ranked number one, we're on the road, and we're eight points ahead of this team that we should probably be beaten by 25 or 30. And there's about four minutes to go in the game in the fourth quarter. The other team's in a 2-3 zone. We're kind of just spacing it out, throwing the ball around a little bit, waiting for them to match up. And I've got a, a senior standing literally right in front of me on the court. And we throw her the ball. She's not guarded. And it goes through her hands and like goes into the bleachers or whatever. And I just remember you know, watching that footage and, and watching my reaction to that, which was we had the seatbelt rule in Iowa at the time. You couldn't even stand up. And so I'm just sitting there with my head down, staring at the floor. And the, the girl that made the mistake is literally arm's length in front of me. And rather than 
reach out or say anything or do anything to encourage her. Like she just does the walk of shame by herself to the other end of the court, you know, and and we go on with the game. We're going to win the game and this is a Tuesday night and the following day on Wednesday, again, we do our mental health days on Wednesday. I started our session with our team and I said, listen, there's something that I saw in the film last night that I really am not comfortable with and I think that we need to address. And so I pulled that clip out of Sydney making that mistake and then zoomed in kind of on my reaction on the bench. And I showed it a couple times and the, the title of the video was, look at this idiot. And we started our conversation of just how do we respond when somebody makes a mistake on our team by looking at my response first. Yeah, and I think so often I know coaches when they're trying to communicate and teach about body language and mistake response, I think one of our typical go-tos is potentially to put in a highlight, a series of clips of our players responding in a poor in a poor manner. And what I love about your story is you started with a clip about yourself. And I think for me as a coach, I know that for years I was trying to get breakthroughs with my players on their mistake response, but it took some self-reflection in how I was handling my mistakes as a coach. So for me as a coach, when I would make mistakes in the game or my players would make mistakes, my body language, the way that I was communicating, the way that I was handling them, that was not a great example for my players. And it wasn't something upon which I could really build into them, right? I really couldn't develop them or teach them about it if I couldn't handle myself in an appropriate way uh, within the games and within practice. Well, one of the things about using your own example is that when you're talking about someone's mistakes and inevitably their body language or their response to that, Normally, that's going to be a, a negative and, and a vulnerable situation for that player to be in, especially if you're doing it collectively as a team. So rather than start with individuals and saying, well, you drooped or you hung your head or you didn't give good effort after this mistake, it's much easier if the coach is willing to be vulnerable themselves to model that first and then start asking questions. And this is kind of what we did in the follow-up conversation was I asked Sydney, I said, how did that make you feel when you're two feet away from your coach and, and this guy over here doesn't do anything to even acknowledge that you exist. Like, he doesn't even get angry at you. He doesn't mention, like, he just looks down at the floor and it almost is like, I wish I could be anywhere else coaching anybody else. You know, just give me a team that can catch the ball when they're not even guarded. And she said, she's like, well, coach, to be honest, like, I kind of felt like nothing. I kind of felt like you were even embarrassed to be around me, like, didn't want to be associated with me. And so I just walked back to the other end by myself, you know, and. And I have a great relationship with Sydney, so we, you know, could have that conversation in, in front of the team and ask a couple follow-up questions to that, um, which was just a really, I thought, healthy way to get that conversation started where I was the subject rather than one of them. And here's the thing. I think every one of us can grow in this area personally and then as coaches. And I think that you just normalized the conversation there with Sydney of, this is something I've got to work on. And now you've set yourself up to now take this conversation even further and to get them to start reflecting on the way that they're handling mistakes at the moment. So Nate, how'd you transition the conversation from your own behaviors and you acting like an idiot to getting them to start to become self-aware of their responses to their mistakes? Well, one of the things that we asked in the conversation just about my response was what, what would Sydney have wanted me to do in that situation? And her response to that was, well, you could have, you know, patted me on the back and say, you know, you're going to get the next one or give me some sort of vote of confidence or encourage me to go get a stop or whatever. Like, but her line was like, coach, there's something that you could have done that would have helped me. Right. And so 
that obviously was what we're trying to get to is not necessarily just what can I do, but what can we do as a team to help each other to be able to get into the next play? So the next thing we did in this mental health day is I had kind of strung together about 10 of our most embarrassing turnovers of the year up until that point. So, you know, when you throw the ball to the referee because you thought he was running with you on the break to airball a free throw to, you know, we threw an outlet pass off the back of somebody's head, like the really embarrassing ones that you really can't hide from. And we watched him, you know, we kind of laughed at him or whatever. But what we did after that I thought was really interesting. And that was we gave the players a sheet of paper and we asked them to kind of divide it up into thirds. And we did a little exercise here where we said, when you are the player that has just made that embarrassing mistake that we just saw in the video and everybody in the gym, you know, knows who, who threw the ball or whatever. What are you thinking and what are you feeling in the moments immediately after you make a mistake like that? And we have them write that down on one third of the card. And then I ask them, when you're the person that makes that mistake, what do you think that your teammates or your coaches or the players on the bench are thinking and feeling in response to your mistake? Wrote that down. And then we went to the third column and I said, what about everybody else in the gym? You know, the fans and your parents and the people that are watching the game. What do you think that they're thinking and what do you think that they're feeling? We just had them list, kind of describe what that felt like, what they thought people might be thinking and feeling. And that kind of launched into the second part of our conversation then where we just shared that in small groups and then shared that together of, of kind of their speculation on how everyone else is reacting and their viewpoint on their own reactions. Nate, what I love about those questions is that you're not just asking what they're thinking about when they make a mistake, but you're asking them to think about what other people might be thinking, right? And I think that creates a lot of pressure in those type of situations when they're making mistakes. So what were some of the responses they gave? Well, interesting, when we look back at it and we kind of combined all the data together and we found that, first of all, from the first person perspective of what did they say they were thinking and feeling, 93% of what they wrote down was negative. You know, they felt embarrassed. They felt like they weren't good enough. They felt frustrated or angry or disappointed with themselves. They felt, you know, like they let their teammates down, whatever. And some of the thoughts going through their mind are, don't do that again. You should never shoot it. You're not good enough. You know, just this negative kind of recording that's playing through their mind. 93% of what they're dealing with immediately after their mistake is their own internal negative response, right? But what's interesting is when you, you think about the, the weight that they're carrying and what they have to get through after that mistake to get to the next play, is it, as you said, it isn't just what they're perceiving from themselves, but there's also sort of this social pressure of, well, how are my teammates going to respond to that? Like, do they still want me to be out on the court? Do they still think that I can do it? Do they still believe in me? Are they still going to pass me the ball and expect me to shoot it? You know, there's a lot of dynamics there that that are kind of uncertain, if especially if your teammates do what I did, which was just let Sydney walk away by herself. Now she's trying to wrestle through what's coach actually thinking? Am I going to get pulled? You know, all that kind of thing, which ultimately leads to the fear of making another mistake, right? And letting your teammates down again. And I think the, the third piece of that, what do you think the rest of the gym is thinking is kind of the same thing because as you said, like it's different when you're playing in a game in a crowd or you're playing in the state tournament on TV. Like there's the pressure of what do all these other people think of me as a player after I make a mistake like that. And so when you start to consider all those factors, it, I don't think it's just as simple as you need to figure it out or I'm going to pull you out of the game. Like we need to be able to give our teams tools 
to help each other get through that 8 to 10 seconds that you have in basketball where there's a dead ball after the ball goes out of bounds to get to the next play and get ready to make that play together. So out of their responses to those three questions, what was probably most surprising to you? Well, I'd say two things. Number one, um, there was the least amount of negativity in the category of how do you think your teammates are going to respond to your mistake, which to me was kind of complimentary of our culture where you know they felt like their teammates or their coaches or the bench was giving them grace and support in that moment, right? Now, that didn't necessarily translate to what they thought the parents were thinking or people in the stands or how they were reacting on their own, but, but that was encouraging. Um, and the other thing was we asked our players at the end of this exercise on their cards to write about which one of those three categories did they feel the greatest weight or pressure from? Was it their own personal response? Was it how they felt their team responded? Or was it you know what they thought people in the stands were thinking? Um, and about two-thirds of our players, it was their own internal response. And about you know a fourth or so, it was their teammates. But more than I would have expected, really felt the pressure from their family or from the fans or just from hearing that groan of disappointment in the gym after you make that mistake in front of everybody. Like that weighed heavier on some than, uh, than I would have expected. And I think even just becoming aware of that. In fact, I had one girl that had wrote about that on her card and in her exit interview this year, she said that was a turning point in my season because I never really understood why I felt what I did after I would make a mistake. But when you started talking about you know my family in the stands and how I thought people responded, I started to realize that I was playing more for my dad or more for the people that were coming to watch me than I was for myself. And that really started to change the way I had to think about going into those games and playing. Well, I think the pressures from the stands, the fans, and things like social media are only getting worse and putting more more pressure from the outside. Uh, especially, I, I think we've all had those moments where player you know misses a shot or turns over, the gym gets quiet, and then you have to hear the father or the mother start to coach from the stands or something like that. And that just adds on more and more pressure. And I think we're seeing more and more instances of that um, today than ever. Another thing that we got out of the dialogue that came from this activity is they started to share a little bit about you know, which of those three columns carried the greatest weight for them or the most pressure for them. It really, I, I think, opened up a feeling of empathy from one teammate to another You know, to know that it, you really struggle with listening to your parents or, or what you think the crowd is going to react to when you make that mistake. You know, allows me as a teammate to start thinking about, well, is there anything that I can do to interrupt that? And that is the last kind of piece of what we did in this activity was on the back of their card after we had discussed all of these things in their small groups and a little bit together as a larger group we had to make sure that everybody understood what is it that we want in our mistake response right and to be honest with you in the, in the midst of a basketball game and competition i'm not as worried about their mental health as i am about getting a stop on the next possession you know and once we all sort of crystallize around this idea that after you make a mistake, the most important thing for us as a team is to get a stop, right? And I understand a little bit more about the pressures that you're feeling internally after you make that mistake. We ask the players on the back of their card then to write, what can your teammates do for you in that 8 to 10 second break in the game when the officials are going to get the ball that you just threw in the concession stand and throw it in, going the other way? Are there things that your teammates can do for you then to help interrupt your inner dialogue or to help intercept some of the, again, the perceived reactions you think are coming from the bench or the crowd 
to help get you into the next play where we need to get a stop. What I love about that is, you know, you've had this level of awareness about understanding, you know, the pressures and, you know, the challenges we're having when we have make mistakes. But before we talk to them about how they need to change their response, we're saying, what can we do to support you in that? I think that that's really, really important when we're trying to help people to change any behavior or any kind of negative thinking or you know, negative self-talk that they might be doing. I think it's really, really empowering for us, us to say, hey, how can I help you through that? And you know, how as teammates can we help you through that? Because nobody wants to think poorly of themselves. Nobody wants this negative self-talk. No, it, it's something that happens and it occurs. And here, this is the power of team. And I think you're really, you know, how we can support each other through that change. And I love that. Well, what we ended with was just having every individual just stand up and read their card in front of their team and say, this is what you can do for me in those moments, right? And what was amazing about that, and, and, and I'll be honest, I don't know if this is a girl's thing over a guy's thing or whatever, but most of the responses had something to do with, I want to know that you still trust me, that you still believe in me, that you still want me out here with you, that you think that I can do it, that you still have confidence in me that you still trust me to make the next play. Like they just needed an affirmation that yes, we're with you, we want you to be with us and we believe that you can do it and you know, you're part of this thing that that they didn't lose sort of their acceptance or their status or the belief of their teammates or coaches in them simply because they made a mistake and being able to verbalize that then opens up the conversation of well, how do we do that for each other? And honestly, what we did coming out of that meeting, this is back in in the early part of that 2016 season is we left with three team rules that we were going to apply to our practices and games from that point forward. So rule number one was we did not allow our players to say my bad anymore. And the reason for that was because when they would pause and they would thump their chest and they'd say, my bad, my bad, my bad. Well, first of all, we know who airballed the free throw, <laughs> like you acknowledging that it was you. We, we don't need that, right? And what that did for them is that it just started that train of negative thoughts like my bad. And then they're thinking it's my fault we're on defense or I put our team in this situation or I shouldn't do that again. You know, thinking back to Alyssa being overly analytical, like that was the first sort of gateway thought that led down this path that she couldn't get off of. Right. And so we just said, look, no more of that. Okay. Rule number two was. In the same way that most teams have a rule that if somebody takes a charge or they get knocked over, you know, you see this on Twitter all the time, right, of all the guys running over and they pick them up. Well, okay, look, there's something to be said for sacrificing your body for the team. But there are also moments where you carry an emotional weight after a mistake that probably hurts more, you know, than just getting run over by somebody going to the basket. I, mean, I think about, you know, in that state championship game in 2016, about 30 seconds before the end of the game, we had possession of the ball down by one, and Maddie Wagman throws a cross-court skip pass way over the head of the guard and right into my hands on the sideline with 50 seconds left, right? She's standing out there in the middle of the floor on television, the biggest possession of our season, and she just airmails it into the bench. Now, I'm telling you that what she's carrying there mentally and emotionally is more than if she would have just gotten knocked over on a charge. So our rule was when somebody makes a mistake, it's a race to go to them Give him a high five, give him a pat on the bobo, you know, whatever it is. But you're physically doing something to bring them with you to the next play. And we're going to post a video in the show notes with this that shows from that state championship game where we cut out probably 10 or 12 of our worst plays 
But you can see over and over our teammates going to each other and saying, it's okay, we got this, and bringing them to the next play. And again, when Alyssa goes to the line at the end, I think those reactions from her teammates had a lot to do with the fact that she could go to the line with confidence to make those last two free throws. And the last rule real quickly here is that if somebody comes to you with a high five or a pat on the bobo, like you can't run away from them. So you don't always have to be the person, if that's not your thing, that's high five and everybody or whatever. But if somebody comes to you, like you can't just turn away, right? And so those three rules, we started in practice that day and that sort of became the foundation for how we were trying to build our team's mistake response. So what's really great about that activity and then what you have taken from that, that activity and those three rules, Nate, is you have ad- addressed the needs of your team, right? Every player, every team has a different culture and the way that they're handling their mistakes. And so that first rule that you talk about of not saying my bad, right? That is obviously to help address the issue of them really having this negative self-talk 93% of the time. I think in other teams you might have their experiences be more along the lines of people blaming, right? And they're not taking personal responsibility. And so for me, I think a lot of the teams that I've coached, I know one of the first things that we're going to implement is this, hey, that's on me. That's my bad. And then there's this follow-up within the team of it's all right. We, you're, you're, we're with you, right? Like that, just kind of that acknowledgement, right? We're moving on. And, and, and I think that that's key. And I think a lot of times you see players do the my bad, but then there's maybe not the acknowledgement from, other, uh, from some of their teammates. And so whatever type of team rules or system you come up with there, I think what's really important is that you're addressing the needs of your team and of those players there. And I think that's what, what's, what's really was key about that was you got every player to articulate from their perspective, what they needed. One thing that I think that also is it helps us as coaches, right? How I can coach a player better, right? We're always trying to figure out ways that we can better coach our players. And here you've got a great pool of you know of feedback from them, and you can obviously use that to tailor your response to each player as well. JP, I think you're right on there. You know, one of the other benefits that I didn't even necessarily anticipate after this activity was it just gave us as coaches, kind of a vocabulary and an easy way to be able to check in with players as the season went on about how they're doing with their mistake response or how they're doing, you know, how are we doing as a team, whether that's in our one-on-ones or our small group discussions as we go through the year. Um, it was a great way to facilitate and a very easy way to kind of come back to that conversation to see how our kids were doing with that as the year went on. Yeah, and for those coaches that have a weekly email to the parents, I think sometimes sharing this type of information with them can be really valuable. Like, and just letting them know that, hey, we were talking on this, about this, we're working on this, and maybe even good to go as far as to share the information that those, those girls or those boys presented as far as their challenges and what they needed from that. And by doing that, I think it could really help for parents to, to gain some self-awareness of their response in the stands and how they might might need to make some changes or adjustments there to better serve the needs uh, of their sons or daughters. That's great, JP. Next week, we're going to talk about how you can teach your players to develop an individual mistake recovery process so that they can begin to reshape how they internally react in those moments of failure. And for all of you that love the podcast, please be sure to go onto iTunes or wherever you listen to it 
and leave us a nice five-star review. That'd be awesome. And go to thriveonchallenge.com and subscribe to the weekly newsletter there so you can get the show notes to every episode.